0: Hi, you're listening to Let's Talk About It with me, Ani White. This is episode 13, "Mommy Dead and Dearest." What happened with your mom that night? Mm-hmm. I don't. know. What happened with my mom? Okay, you, you just listen to me, okay sweetheart? You you know what happened to your mom, okay? And I know that you know. You think that it's me? Why would you think that it's me? I have always known someone. My mother and her sister. Listen to me. Please don't get yourself at all. And that's what you do. This documentary was suggested by a listener, so thank you for that input. This is a first-hand look at the true crime story of Dee Dee Blanchard and her daughter, Gypsy Rose. And you can stream this on Macs. It's directed by Erin Lee Carr. Let's start with some content warnings, the documentary, and therefore this podcast contains descriptions of mental and physical abuse, medical abuse, sexual abuse, violence, and murder. And I do want to say, before we get started, I knew the basics of the story, but I hadn't ever watched this documentary. I really hadn't watched a whole lot about it. So I was pretty intrigued to know more of the details of this story, especially with Gypsy Rose being released from jail so recently. And she does have a docu-series on Lifetime called Jailhouse Confessions. So let me know if you do want me to cover that one too, but let's get into this one first. We open with Gypsy in an interrogation room in the Waukesha County Sheriff's Office. It's June 15th, 2015. This is Waukesha, Wisconsin, by the way. And we did hear a little bit of that clip just a minute ago. Gypsy's hair is extremely short. You can tell it had been shaved not too long ago. And at first she's just looking around the room curiously. She's in the room by herself. And police have brought her in for questioning regarding the death of her mother. Now Gypsy Rose is 19 years old at this time, and she's from Springfield, Missouri. Her voice is very high pitched and childlike, which you can kind of tell in that clip. And the police officer just has this very calm voice he's leaning in sort of giving off a dad vibe if that makes sense i feel like it kind of comes off in that clip i shared too and the police officer tells her that her mother is dead and he wants to know if she has any involvement she starts to cry she shakes her head no and he talks over her crying saying yes she is dead can you tell me what went on that night During this time, we see photographs of the bloody crime scene as Gypsy talks, saying that she doesn't know why they would think she was involved, that she loves her mom, her mom's her best friend. We heard that part of it. The police officer keeps calling her like sweetheart. Like I said, dad vibes for the good cop thing. And he asks her why Nick hurt her mom. And he tells her to be truthful no more lies and asks her if she helped kill her mom. At this point we cut to 6 years earlier at a relay uh relay for life fundraiser and we see Gypsy Rose in a wheelchair. She has no hair but a big pink bow wrapped around her head and she's wearing a flowery dress and her mom Dee Dee Blanchard is right beside her. Gypsy sings a song about angels, and then Dee Dee gets on the mic and says, I always say that I was born to be your mama. Then we see footage of Springfield, Missouri, and photos of Dee Dee and Gypsy with audio of news coverage of Dee Dee's murder and Gypsy's disappearance. Um, in this, we learn that Gypsy and Dee Dee were Hurricane Katrina survivors who had come to the Ozarks. Springfield, Missouri is the Ozarks. It's kind of a tourist town, honestly and it's actually the third largest town in Missouri, but they had come there to supposedly make a better life for Gypsy. Now on June 14th, 2015, a well check was called into the Greene County Sheriff's Department because there had been some alarming posts on Dee, Dee and Gypsy's shared Facebook page. And at first people thought maybe her Facebook had been hacked. We then hear from Elaine Shearer. She's a community service worker from Missouri who says that at that time, Gypsy was known as a child who was in a wheelchair and had leukemia. She had frequent seizures and had to be tube fed. And the sheriff just says his main concern at the time was to make sure everything was okay with Gypsy. And it was well known around there how many medical issues Gypsy had. Now, Aaliyah Woodmansey was Gypsy's friend. It was her neighbor. She was her neighbor. And she just says people in the community really rallied around Gypsy and her mom because of all of Gypsy's medical conditions. And they were given a lot of support and money. Now the Facebook post, okay. The disturbing post said, one of them said, the bitch is dead. And then another post said, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud. LOL. Yeah, we're getting into it right away. So this all happens very quickly. The well check is called in on June 14th. And by June 16th, the Greene County Sheriff's Office is holding a press conference and telling people that things are not always what they appear. We then see Nicholas go to John. This is Gypsy's boyfriend. And we see him in an interrogation room, I, presumably in Waukesha, where he admits to stabbing Dee Dee. And he says that he only did it because he did it for Gypsy. And the officer asks him if Gypsy knew he was going to kill her mom. And he says yes, that she asked him to do it. At this press conference, we hear the sheriff talk about how they've arrested Gypsy and her boyfriend. And this is a tragic event surrounded in mystery and public deception. He says that Gypsy can in fact walk very well, does not need a wheelchair for assistance. And then we see Gypsy's mugshot, and then footage of her standing up on her own in the interrogation room. And we see that along with some photographs that were taken of her at that time. So on June 16th, the day of that press conference, Gypsy is arraigned in Wisconsin the prosecutor, I think, reads the charges against her, which are first degree murder, and you can hear audibly hear Gypsy crying at the table. Now, news coverage back in Missouri, in Springfield, is that the community is really shocked to see the video of Gypsy walking into a Wisconsin courtroom without assistance. The police interview Gypsy's neighbors and family and friends, and they are just like completely shocked, stumped by everything they're learning right now um you know both that gypsy doesn't seem to need a wheelchair and then of course the murder the sheriff goes on to say that it appears that no one knew the true background of this family and that what had been unearthed was what looked to be like a long financial fraud scheme that over the years Dee, Dee and gypsy had received free medical transportation disney trips free housing because of gypsy's supposed disabilities And they had so many donations made to them, including online things for supposedly to support Gypsy's muscular dystrophy and leukemia. They also could not confirm how old Gypsy really was because several different dates of birth had been used. Now in July, so July 24th, we see Gypsy back in a courtroom. As the prosecution presents its preliminary evidence against Gypsy, she was charged with murder in the first degree, and cell phone evidence is presented of text messages between Gypsy and Nicholas Godijon. They had met online and began an online dating relationship, and then eventually, in the text messages, they begin talking about killing Gypsy's mother. Now, in the beginning, when things are starting to come out, it kind of just looks like a tabloid case. Like there was this fraudulent scheme lying about Gypsy being disabled, and then there was you know, a murder with this very tabloid-esque Facebook messages from the night Dee Dee's killed, but that's not the full story. Obviously, we wouldn't be here if that was it. Uh, the real story is so much more complicated and heartbreaking. Now we go to LaFouche Parish, Louisiana, which is where Gypsy was born. Rod Blanchard is Gypsy's father and Dee Dee's ex-husband, and he has this strong Louisiana, or uh, I guess it's more accurately a Cajun accent, and he says someone doesn't just kill her mother for no reason. It's not just so she can go be with her boyfriend. He says he knew right away that something else had to have been going on for this to happen. Mike Stanfield is Gypsy's lawyer. He's a Missouri public defender, and he says that no one wants to believe that what happens really possible and they want to say well gypsy was lying about everything all this time but this all started long before gypsy had any say in what was happening to her when gypsy was three months old Dee, Dee first began telling people she was ill first it was sleep apnea rod says that she told him that gypsy needed a breathing machine and he says to this day he has no idea if that was real or not well Obviously he believed her at the time, but now he has no idea if that was true. But I think we all know at this point it was not true, Rod, but okay. Anyway, he says it just escalated from there. Then it was problems with her eyes and her hearing and her digestive system. And then after that, Gypsy couldn't walk anymore because she had a muscular disorder. Now at 10 years old, Dee Dee tells Rod that Gypsy's going to need a wheelchair. And he asks her, you know, what's going on with all these problems? And Dee Dee tells him that tests have been run and Gypsy has a chromosome disorder and it's keeping her functions from developing. And Dee Dee tells Rod at that time that Gypsy likely will not live past her teens. Rod says that to see her now at age 23, perfectly healthy, really pisses him off. And I'm assuming here he means that Gypsy was likely healthy all along. And it pisses him off that he hadn't known and that he had believed Dee Dee's lies. Now, Christy Blanchard is Gypsy's stepmother. And we see Christy and Rod looking through old photos spread across their dining table. They're kind of recalling some of Gypsy's surgeries. And the first time, she's in a wheelchair. And Christy's face just crumples. And she just says, it breaks her heart now to look at these photographs and know that she didn't need any of this, that Gypsy was put through all this. And then Rod says, 14 years, 14 years in a wheelchair she didn't need. And when he says it like that, it it really does kind of hit you, like 14 years is such a long, long time. Now, Dee Dee had taken great lengths to make Gypsy appear younger than she was. And for a time, she had even kept from Gypsy how old she actually was. Rod remembers calling Gypsy on her 18th birthday. And Dee, Dee told him not to mention that she was 18 because Gypsy did not know she was 18 and that her mental capacity was still years behind. She wouldn't understand. And Rod says, you know, he knew it was weird. And likely some part of Rod knew things weren't quite right. But at this point, Dee, Dee had moved Gypsy quite a ways away from him. And there had been years of this. Dee Dee had been telling him this for years about her mental capacity. And now we can look back and realize that Gypsy isn't the person she had to pretend to be all those years. So who is she really? Now this is when we first see Gypsy being interviewed for this documentary. She walks in in a prison jumpsuit of black and white stripes, but she has a smile on her face as she meets the interviewer. Her hands are cuffed and she places them in her lap and sits down and her voice still has that high pitched childlike quality to it. And she says, this is her first time to be truly honest besides with her attorney. But then she kind of giggles and says, well, she hasn't even always been completely honest with him either. (laughs) I'm sure he loved hearing that. But when asked to describe her mom, she takes this long pause and she says unique. <laughs> yeah. And then she says that growing up, she would have called her mom overprotective. That she didn't think she was abused at the time. Because when you're in the midst of it, when you're being abused, that's all you've ever known. So you don't really know any differently. You don't know that you're being abused. And she just knew her life was different, that she was different from other kids, but Everyone always said they were the best people in the world and the cutest mother daughter duo. Then they ask Gypsy, you know, what illnesses did her mother say she had? And Gypsy starts trying to list them. Um, She says asthma, hearing impairment, vision impairment, epilepsy, fed with a feeding tube, paralyzed from the waist down, mental impairment. And then she kind of trails off saying she can't remember what else off the top of her head. But then we see a typed list of her diagnoses in quotes. I hope you can hear the air quotes in these diagnoses because her mom has this list with multiple illnesses spelled incorrectly. She's incorrectly spelled epilepsy, allergies, the muscular and muscular dystrophy, heart murmur instead of murmur. Which you would assume if your child was diagnosed with those things and you are typing up a list for healthcare providers you would i don't know know how to spell them at this point or you might look them up <laughs> but okay in addition to those are some that gypsy mentioned including the vision and hearing impairment and gypsy said asthma but dd Dee Dee lists both asthma and lung disease not sure she what i'm not sure what she meant by lung disease but It's also listed with things like GI reflux, incontinence, and oh, there's another one misspelled, uh, quadriplegia, which that's when all four limbs are unable to move. So that's not even the right term for what she's telling people about gypsy being paralyzed from the waist down. That's not quadriplegia. So that's not even the right term. (laughs) Okay. some other things listed anemia mild mental retardation age seven hypoventilation using a cpap age 10 leukemia age five okay i think that's all of the ones listed now but i mean there's about a thousand red flags right there you would think any healthcare provider would be handed this list and just see a giant red wag flag waving in their face And I know that's easy for me to say, because I'm here and I was not there and I can look back in hindsight. And I think maybe those of us who do look back at it now, maybe underestimate Dee Dee Blanchard's capacity for manipulation, which we'll get to that. (laughs) We then see Dee Dee's medical closet, which was kind of terrifying. So many medications. Um, that Gypsy was forced to take in addition to the CPAP, which she says she hated the CPAP because it seemed like it made her breathing worse and not better. And then she also had a feeding tube that controlled what she ate and allowed her mom easy access to put medications into her. And she says her mom would even do that when she was asleep, so she wouldn't even know she was getting medicated. Then we see them on a medical trip headed to a children's hospital, And according to her medical records, Dee Dee brought Gypsy to local hospitals over 100 times between 2005 and 2014. Okay, I admit this is where I had to take a break when I was watching because I knew they were about to get into all the medical treatments. And before we get there, I kind of want to give some insight into this for any of you who are listening who are not parents or if you are parents of children who don't need to utilize children's hospitals. Um, Unfortunately, my kids have indeed had to use the children's hospital. It's about an hour from my home at a big university hospital system. I am forever grateful for that hospital, don't get me wrong, but it is not pleasant to have to go there. It is upsetting and stressful. And as a parent, I had to try and keep my shit together. I had to try and hide my worry as best I could from my kids i needed to try and protect them as best i could so i had to try and keep calm and it was not easy i don't even know if i always succeeded in it but i did my best to keep it together so that i could advocate for them in the best way that i could i have spent time at that same hospital visiting other family members whose children were there for other health related reasons and these are just not good memories these represent the worst times of my life so To subject kids to going there without reason is so horrific in a way that's hard to describe and probably hard to understand if you have not been there yourself. So I wanted to give a little bit of perspective on that. Now when Gypsy would go to the doctor, her mom would do all the talking. She always had a stuffed animal or a Barbie doll with her and her mom would say, just play with the toy. And if the doctor comes to examine you, you just stay calm and play with your toy and don't move your legs. Now Gypsy did undergo multiple surgeries during her hospital visits. Um, She had gastrointestinal operations, eye procedures, the removal of her salivary glands. And she says she was really in the dark about almost everything except that she knew she couldn't, she knew she could walk. Um, but that was pretty much the only thing she really was clear on. Her mom would shave her head because she would say that your hair is going to fall out anyway, so let's just keep it nice and neat. And she said she just thought her mom knew best. But the medications Dee was giving her were inducing many of the symptoms of the diseases that the doctors thought that they were treating. Then we hear from Dr. Mark Feldman, a clinical psychologist and Munchausen expert, And he says that Gypsy Rose Blanchard was as consistently and viciously subjected to Munchausen by proxy as anyone he has ever known. And Munchausen by proxy syndrome involves a caregiver who feigns or induces illness in her children. And the goal is some kind of emotional gratification, whether they're looking for sympathy or attention, that care and concern that they feel that they can't get in any other way and that this is a form of child abuse. Now, the first surgery Gypsy remembers is her feeding tube, and it needed to be changed every six months. Her attorney calls it mind-boggling that Dee Dee was able to manipulate so many doctors into believing all this. And at this point, the prosecution has asked the defense for mitigating evidence. So this is when we see Rod and Christy Blanchard meeting with Gypsy's lawyer, and her lawyer has brought all this paperwork that shows medical records where Dee, Dee has lied to the doctors about something to do with Gypsy. He says that across all of the records, all of them say according to the mother or upon mother's information or history by the mother. The lawyer specifically finds one that says that during the exam, Dee, Dee holds her hands over Gypsy's ears as she's talking to the doctor. So the lawyer says, you don't know how many times this might have happened. Like someone happened to note it down here, but Gypsy likely did not know a lot of what her mother was telling the doctors. And then when you look at the family history that Dee, Dee gave, it's clear Dee, Dee was changing the family history depending on what Dr. Gypsy was at. So at the cardiologist, Dee, Dee would say all their family members die by heart attacks and then et cetera, et cetera. But then, this part gets me. The lawyer says, he finds this letter from Dr. Bernardo Flazerstein. and this is a neurologist that Dee Dee had brought Gypsy to. And in the letter, it says, "From this is from the doctor, mother is not a good historian. That's in bold, and he underlines it. And then we hear from this pediatric neurologist, he's They've interviewed him, and he says that there were red flags basically right away. If she couldn't walk for as long as Dee, Dee says Gypsy couldn't walk, she should have had almost no muscle mass in her lower legs, but that wasn't the case. Gypsy's leg muscles were basically normal. She was able to support her body weight and was able to stand, and the MRI and tests he ran showed no reason why she should not be able to walk, so he was like, nah, this is messed up. So he contacts her previous providers, and that provider says that Gypsy's prior neurologist had specifically told her that Gypsy does not have muscular dystrophy. So then he notes that based on talking to her prior pediatrician as well, he suspects that there's a strong possibility that Gypsy is a victim of Munchausen by proxy syndrome. This is 2007, and the neurologist says that You know sure we refer people to social services if there's neglect but this wasn't really neglect this was over treatment no this was abuse but okay he says they all have this big integrated system that had all rallied around this family and he thought that if he pushed this that he would be the one shut down so he just put all this stuff in his notes no one ever said anything about it and he didn't think he should go about trying to convince other people that something was not right here. I can hardly believe this guy agreed to be on camera saying this. <sighs> so, he knew a child was being medically abused, but he didn't do anything about it except write it down. Are you kidding me? Like that is worse, my dude. That's worse than the other people who Didi Dee Dee just outright fooled. She didn't fool him and he did nothing. So just, you know, fuck that guy, just fuck that guy. This could have started something back in 2007. Anyway, so the lawyer then says, look, there's this huge gap here in records from this hospital. So from 2007, when she sees this neurologist, to 2015, Gypsy is not seen at this hospital. That's eight years. And so the lawyer realizes that Dee, Dee requested medical records, and she must have read that note from Dr. Flazerstein. and so she stopped coming to that hospital for eight years. And the lawyer just says, this all just kept going. And Christie says, and it would have kept going, implying that if Dee, Dee weren't dead, all this stuff would have continued harming Gypsy. And then she says, it would have kept going because her mother was an insane compulsive liar. Then we hear Rod take us back to how this relationship started between he and Dee. He met her at a bowling alley. They went on a few dates and then within a few weeks after meeting him, she was pregnant. He says, you know, being from the South, that's just what you did. Someone got pregnant, you married them. So he married Dee, and he was 17 years old at this time. Then he says a year later on his 18th birthday, he was just kind of like, Oh, what am I doing? and he just says she was kind of into some weird things that he was uncomfortable with dark things like witchcraft and it's clear that he didn't take it that seriously though or anything he just thought it was weird this is when we first meet bobby Pitrie. this is dd's Dee nephew and he describes dd Dee Dee as a really weird girl <laughs> that she seemed to be bipolar maybe even have multiple personalities but either way Definitely an evil person, he says. We then meet Dee Dee's dad, Claude Petrie, and her, uh, her stepmom, Laura Petrie. <sighs> okay. Not that we did not know that Dee Dee had probably done some shit before this stuff with Gypsy, but there's there's a lot to talk about. Her dad says they used to be pretty close, and he says he just always gave her what he what she wanted, though, growing up. And then her mo- stepmom says, if you didn't give Didi Dee Dee what she wanted, she would make you pay. And then we find out that Didi Dee Dee had actually been poisoning her stepmom over a period of time using a pesticide, um, that she had defrauded some of her family members, taking out credit cards in their names, running up huge bills, writing lots of bad checks and that the real reason she left the bayou as they say was because if she didn't leave she was going to get arrested now laura her stepmom says there just wasn't anything that Didi Dee Dee couldn't get away with and that she said her mom Dee Dee's mom was a little bit like that too so Didi's Dee mom uh her name is was emma petrie and she was kind of a compulsive thief i guess she shoplifted she would do things like steal clothes out of the laundromat and at one point she had stolen money from Claude's dad now Bobby the nephew says that when Dee Dee's mom died it felt like she really went off the deep end but the thing was is that when Emma Dee Dee's mom died Dee Dee had been in the house with her and apparently she was starving her mom so not giving her mom anything to eat and then now when they look back they just basically everyone assumes that DD Dee Dee killed her mom. So yeah, the interviewer asks Laura, if she was sad when she heard DD Dee Dee had died. And Laura has the funniest reaction. I'm sorry. Laura's like, who me? Like she actually says that. And then she's like, well, at first I didn't believe it. And she says it took a while for it to sink in because she thought this whole thing was just another one of Dee Dee's tricks and bobby the nephew says his first thought was not oh no my aunt's dead it was oh who did Dee piss off that she must have really pissed someone off finally and he says that he did think that it was probably gypsy that she had finally had enough and killed her and when they got word that gypsy was okay and with her boyfriend this part of the family anyway thought right away that it was gypsy and that she just couldn't take it anymore even though they didn't even know yet about all of Gypsy's medical conditions not being real, they just assumed that Dee, Dee had somehow made her life hell and that she had snapped, which is kind of wild, honestly, that this was their first reaction, but you know, they really knew Dee, Dee, so I guess that's why. So then the interviewer asks Claudia and Laura if they think DeeDee Dee got what she deserved, and they both say, well, yeah. Like, none of Dee Dee's siblings wanted anything to do with her in life. And then after her death, no one wanted her ashes. So, I guess one of her siblings actually said to flush them down the toilet. And no one ever says what happened to them. So, maybe that's where they went. I don't know. Now, back to Green County, the Green County Courthouse. This is now November 9th, 2015. This is five months since the murder. And we see Christy, Gypsy's stepmom, outside the courthouse waiting, and Gypsy is led into the courtroom. Prosecutors decide not to pursue the death penalty against Gypsy or her boyfriend in an agreement with the defense. And the prosecutor says that, you know, as a prosecutor, you also have to look at what is just. And you have to look at the mitigating factors here, as well as the facts of the case. And it's also a very unusual case, one where they think they have a victim who transforms into the suspect and then who kind of transforms back into the victim. So it's a case that's definitely in shades of gray here. So then we kind of take a look back at what Gypsy's life was like. Um, one of the things that Gypsy loved was Disney and Disney movies and fairy tales and my opinion is kind of that they were stories that couldn't transport you and they have a happily ever after and that's really not what gypsy's life was like now her favorite movie was Tangled which is a Rapunzel uh movie and uh, it's obviously about a princess and a kingdom that is kidnapped she's kept in a tower she's not allowed to leave and that's all she knows and gypsy's friend that neighbor from down the street says, you know, in fairy tales, the villain gets what's coming to them. And she kind of implies that that's what Gypsy finally did. And when Gypsy talks about this and talks about how in Rapunzel or Tangled that mother Gothel, the villain falls to her death out a window when Rapunzel finally stands up for herself and tries to leave her tower. But then Gypsy says, you know, life is not a fairy tale and that she learned that the hard way. Uh, Gypsy's life was more like a nightmare, a fairy tale nightmare, maybe. We see photos of Gypsy and probably the most famous one being, uh, the photograph of her with the princess dress and a tiara and her mother just controlled every aspect of her life. Almost like the control a kidnapper has over their hostage or victim. And Gypsy really did live her life this way. Every part of her life was under her mother's control. And people in her life look back now and with hindsight can see all the red flags, like Didi Dee Dee never letting Gypsy be with other people alone or always holding Gypsy's hand when she talked to people. Like if she squeezed her hand, Gypsy would know the right thing to say. The Munchausen expert says this was a way for Didi Dee Dee to assert her dominance over Gypsy. The hand holding the squeezing the tight hugs and gypsy says that if she did say something wrong her mom would squeeze her hand and she would know to basically shut up and gypsy just says she was too afraid to do anything differently the munchausen by proxy expert says this kind of control usually has a physical abuse element to it so he was assuming that that happened here too and gypsy confirms that and says that yes her mom would hit her uh with a coat hanger sometimes or with her palm and that she would get a certain number of slaps according to what she had done wrong. The interviewer asked Gypsy if she ever tried to hit back and she just says no. And the expert says that Dee, Dee was so powerful and manipulative and controlling over Gypsy that she likely felt that any effort to fight back or escape, that that effort would fail. And when she did try the first time it did fail. So at one point, Gypsy meets a friend at VisionCon and she tells him a little bit about what's really happening to her. And he says, Well, you can come live with me in Arkansas. And so she packs her things at home and, or I don't know if it's at the VisionCon or at home now that I think about it, but she packs up her stuff and she hitchhikes to Arkansas. But her mom discovers where she is and she threatens to call the cops if Gypsy doesn't come back home with her. And when they get home, Dee Dee smashes Gypsy's computer and her cell phone with a hammer and then says, if you ever try to run away again, I'll smash your fingers with the hammer. And Gypsy says that it was a rough year after that. And she says she calls that the bad times. I guess after that escape, Dee Dee had taken a dog leash and clipped it to this pair of handcuffs. And then she clipped that to Gypsy's bed. And so Gypsy, for about two weeks, was basically handcuffed to her bed. Gypsy knew her mom had gone to a lawyer at one point to have papers drawn up declaring Gypsy's lowered mental capacity. So Gypsy believed, you know, if I go to the police, they'll just say that I don't know what I'm talking about. And her lawyer says, you know, Gypsy fell through every crack the system has to protect kids. At one point, Greene County sheriffs are sent out to the house after an anonymous tip that Gypsy's being abused, but when they get there, Dee, Dee just does her usual song and dance and then they eat it up and they went away. So Gypsy did have reason to believe the police would be of no use. Honestly, she's probably right. Let's be real here. Everyone around Gypsy had failed her. Her doctors had failed her. The authorities had failed her and. I don't necessarily want to blame t- place tons of blame on her dad because he was in kind of a weird position here, but I think he does put it on himself, especially when he looks back and can see those red flags. Someone did once tell him that Gypsy could walk, and I think he said Didi's Dee sister, but he might have been saying Gypsy's sister because she does have a half-sister. But when he said something to Dee about that, she explained it away like, oh, it's the muscular dystrophy, makes her muscles hurt, or she's too weak to do much, but on a good day she can move a little and it's a progressive disease, it's going to get worse. And after Rod questioned her about it, he says Dee moved Gypsy even further away from him. At this point, Gypsy sees how little recourse she has to escape the abuse and She became really angry at the world for not doing anything to help her. And I think she knew that what was happening was all going to eventually kill her. And it's at this time that she meets Nicholas Go to John online. Her lawyer talks about how sheltered is not a strong enough word for Gypsy's upbringing, which we'd already talked about how much control she's under, but. Anyway, so through this Christian dating website, she makes a profile, and then she sees Nicholas's profile, and she messages him, and they strike up a conversation, and within a few days, they decide they're in a relationship. Now, Gypsy has a secret Facebook account at this point, and so she starts posting things there about her relationship with Nicholas. Now, Nick had his own issues to deal with, and this was basically the collision of one difficult existence meeting another. So they kind of had that in common in a way. Nicholas had been diagnosed with autism and his mother had been told that his developmental age would likely stay that of a young teenager. And Gypsy says that at first their conversations were normal. Now, I think they sound very kind of idealistic. They are talking about where they wanna travel one day, They talk about what kind of wedding they're gonna have, what kind of honeymoon. But eventually their conversations got weird, she said. And Nick began talking about BDSM. Now, she knew nothing about BDSM, so she says she looked it up and she was like, I'm not into this really, but he talked her into trying it with him. So she says she agreed and he taught her about how she was supposed to be submissive. And so she tried to be what he wanted. At one point she does get a message from Nick's ex-girlfriend who tells her that Nick is a bad guy. He thinks he's a vampire. He's into dominant submissive stuff and then Gypsy blows it off as just like a jealous ex-girlfriend. But now Gypsy says, you know, she was right. After they're arrested for Dee Dee's murder, things about Nicholas's past do start to come out in the news. Um, he had previously been arrested for watching porn in a McDonald's and fondling himself. And uh, apparently there were also some weapons charges, I think from the same incident. Gypsy says though that she had never had a boyfriend before and she didn't know what a normal relationship really was. In a police interrogation room, we see Nick talking about how he thinks he has multiple personalities. And that he used to take a medication due to hearing voices. Now, Nick had told Gypsy about these multiple personalities. And so they kind of did this role play stuff. Basically, all their relationship was online role play. And she was able to chat and send photos to Nick after her mom was asleep. So that's when all this is going on. And it's the journalist, they were. Or- They interview a journalist who says that it's interesting that no matter how much you control someone or try to have control over someone, you cannot stop adolescent sexuality from happening. And that statement just brought me right back to like the Duggar family and the IBLP and then like the FLDS and Warren Jeffs and all their attempts to control girls and their sexuality. And yeah, so it just like brought me right back to those to those episodes now about a year into this relationship between gypsy and Nick she ends up telling him everything and she says that I did not start out with like I want you to kill my mom he would just say he will wa- he would protect her from anyone and then she says even her mom and he says yes and that that was the beginning of starting to talk about this and this is what they called plan b they always just talked about it but she says it didn't really feel like a real plan for most of the time they talked about it they would just always push it back and they would talk about other options but then they plan this meeting so they plan a meeting at a movie theater and she was hoping that they could pretend that this was just a meet meeting for the first time so like set this all up so that they can trick her mom into thinking like she just has met a new friend but it doesn't work out that way um the meeting does not go well uh when Nick talks about it he actually says that he and Gypsy had sex in a bathroom at the theater I'm not actually sure that really happened because I can't imagine Dee Dee letting Gypsy go in there by herself but I guess I don't know for sure but Anyway, the meeting with the mom, with her mom does not go well. Dee Dee ends up thinking Nick was weird and creepy and that it was weird he had come to see the Cinderella movie by himself. And after this failed meeting, Gypsy says this is when she really got desperate because there was no other way for her to pretend to meet Nick. And I think what she's implying there is that she had hoped that meeting Nick was going to be a way out of the situation with her mom. And she thought she could meet and strike up a friendship and that she could begin a relationship with him and that someday she could get out of this house to be with him. But I mean, Dee Dee was never going to let that happen, but it is after this failed meeting that Gypsy tells Nicholas that she is in with their plan B plan, um, that she is fully ready. So Gypsy pays for a ticket on a Greyhound bus for Nick to come to Springfield, Missouri from his home in Wisconsin. The day of the murder, Dee, Dee goes to the grocery store and then ends up going to bed very late that night. Gypsy stays up texting Nick about how she had left gloves for him outside the front door. That there's a squeaky screen door to be careful with. And she has a knife and duct tape for him when he gets inside. As Gypsy is telling this story, this is the point where she basically breaks down. She says that she and her mom had painted each other's nails that day, that she had acted like everything was fine. They had recently been in an argument and then had made up and Gypsy had said that she would be a good girl. And when her mom went to bed, she said that, oh, I, you know, she felt more relaxed now, I guess about the argument. And then she said, don't hurt me. So the last thing Dee Dee ever said to Gypsy, well, what the last thing she ever said to anyone was don't hurt me. And it's clear how guilty Gypsy feels about those final words and about what ultimately happened. There's some, there's a very sad irony in someone's last words being don't hurt me when they themselves have caused so much hurt. At this point, Nick tells her to go to the bathroom. So she does and she covers her ears and she hears her mom call out to her um, to scream, help me. She hears more noises and screams and then there's just silence we do see the crime scene photos again they are graphic I won't get into it too much but you know this was a stabbing and there was a lot of blood Nick is asked in the interview if he had sex of any sort with Dee Dee's body and he says no but Gypsy had told police that Nick had mentioned wanting to rape her mom and when interviewed Gypsy says that he had wanted to do that but that she had made a deal with him that he could rape her instead, so that he wouldn't do that to her mom. Now, Nick describes the sex with Gypsy as consensual, but he does admit to biting her. We see marks on Gypsy's neck in photographs and a massive bruise on her arm. She says that she screamed for him to stop, but that he wouldn't, so she doesn't feel like the sex was consensual in any way. They attempt to clean up fingerprints from the crime scene, and then they take a taxi to a local motel. And she says she loved him, and she thought that he loved and cared for her back, and so she just kept going. They end up taking a Greyhound bus back to Wisconsin, and we kind of see their movements all through security tape. She said she felt free for the first time. She was allowed to walk around for the first time. And they started talking about having a future together and having a family. Nick's family was in Big Bend, Wisconsin, and they plan to live first with Nick's family. So when Nick's mom is interviewed, she just says she knew about Gypsy, but that she had been told that Gypsy was homeless and that her mom had kicked her out. So when Gypsy gets to her house, she just asks about the situation, asks about Gypsy's mom, and Nick's stepfather says things seem normal, except that obviously this girl was kind of running away from this current bad situation and they genuinely thought that they were just being helpful this is when we learn that a package had come for nick and investigators find inside the package is a knife and it turns out to be the one that was used to stab dd Dee Dee, so the murder weapon and they find it in nick's family's house along with money that they had stolen from Dee. Dee. but then for an even more kind of what the fuck moment is when we think back to those Facebook posts on Dee Dee and Gypsy's joint page, we find out apparently, I don't know how we know, I guess maybe Gypsy admits to it, but it's apparently Gypsy who posted the disturbing messages on their Facebook, which is something. I mean, that's, that's something all right. I don't know. The clinical psychologist says to post that after the murder kind of shows a degree of sociopathy there and nick's mom and stepdad do say that both nick and gypsy acted completely normal and it's now in the interview rooms that they are both reeling with the knowledge that their son and gypsy killed Dee, Dee and then came to their home and acted like nothing had happened and it doesn't feel like either of them can really wrap their minds around that at all which i mean I guess that's the normal person reaction to that bobby pitry so gypsy's cousin Dee Dee's nephew says you know gypsy might have masterminded this whole thing herself and it's hard not to be wary of someone like that who would kill her own mother <laughs> <laughs> the pitry family that's Dee Dee's family is uh unusual let's say so then this cousin he just chuckles and says don't turn your back on her. She might stab you, Just not exactly the most normal thing to say in this moment, but okay, Bobby. You can see that Nick's family feels that Gypsy is the mastermind behind this. There's an interesting question that the investigator asks Nick, which is, if you didn't know Gypsy, would you have killed her mom? And he says, no that he, of course, killed Dee Dee for Gypsy because she wanted him to kill her. Now, the journalist does point out that all Gypsy has ever known is life with her mother, that all she has as a reference is her mom and how her mom manipulated people and lied to people and scammed people. Is it not possible that Gypsy has learned to do the same? And if that's all she knows, how could that not have affected her? and I mean it is a decent point she's obviously a victim of her mother too though and I guess that's the crux of the situation here she's a victim but does she have some of her mother's traits I mean that's it's hard to say in Gypsy's initial interviews with the investigator she denies of course being a part of the murder plot at all so we definitely know she does lie about things and if you'll remember when she first sits down to be interviewed for this documentary she says You know she's ready to tell the truth um and she'd basically been lying the whole time and not even telling the whole truth to her own lawyer it's a lot to think about honestly and remember gypsy has basically spent her entire life lying although we know it was not her choice to lie about especially being able to walk now, Christy, her stepmom says that Gypsy was still in Wisconsin when she first called them, and at that time, Gypsy really wasn't trusting anyone and kind of not telling anyone the truth or anything, even even Mike, her lawyer, and that when they went into the courtroom for the first time and the truth started coming out, like all the text messages, and Christy says that when the prosecution showed all of them, Gypsy turned around to look at them meaning uh, christy and her dad rod and she says that gypsy turned and looked at them both with fear in her eyes because she apparently didn't think they had all that evidence or something and so now she knew her dad and stepmom would know that she had been lying to them and they asked christy did you feel lied to at that point she says well yeah i did rod says that They basically got caught red-handed, That there is no doubt about who did this or what happened, and now it's more of a matter of why they did it. Is what they did reasonable in any way? In the documentary interview, Gypsy is asked if she's glad her mom is no longer here to abuse her, and she says yes, but that she's not happy she's dead. And Gypsy says it may sound strange because she's the one who planned it and took steps to make it happen and went through with it, But at the same time she didn't want it to happen and i think she feels like that won't make sense to us but it really does make sense to me at least that she felt that way because she didn't want her mom to be dead what she wanted was to be able to escape and she didn't see any other way to do that gypsy says that when the murder happened that she was very scared and shaking but that she was on so much medication at that time including xanax all given to her by her mother and It had really taken away a lot of her ability to have or show emotion. And so when it's happening, she says she feels like her brain was just empty. And she kind of describes like a numbness there and that things felt like they weren't even real. The Munchausen by proxy expert says that victims often lose contact with reality. That Gypsy may have trouble actually determining what is real and what is not real. Is she sick or is she not sick? is death real or is it not real is something exaggerated is this fake she likely does not have the capacity to know what's normal behavior and what is extremely strange behavior gypsy grew up in an alternate reality by her mom isolating her and so she does not understand what normal really is and gypsy herself says in many ways she didn't know what was right and what was wrong And it's such a familiar story in a way, if you think about what like ex-members of a cult say about their time in the cult, only this is like a cult of one, but Gypsy says it feels good now to be able to be honest. Gypsy does say that she wishes she had reached out to her dad and told him what was happening. And that's her main regret because that's kind of the only scenario that might have worked because even if it seemed like no one else around Gypsy would believe her, her dad probably would have. Now, we don't know what would have happened after that, though, because what Dee, Dee might have done is something we'll never really know. Rod talks about when Gypsy would come for visits, how sometimes she would be so scared of him that she would be shaking, and he says she must have been so confused because who knows what Dee, Dee was telling her. She probably told gypsy terrible things about rod before they got there like he didn't love her and but then when they were in front of him she would kind of scooch gypsy at him and say well there's your daddy go give him a hug but he does say you know that's old history now and he has to try and build a relationship with gypsy now but it also explains why gypsy might not have been able to see him as someone that could help her escape her situation now we see claude dd's Dee dad and he says he just wishes that gypsy had not had to go through everything that she has been through and he hopes that when she is out of jail she can have a normal life dd's Dee stepmom says gypsy has been punished enough and she wishes that she could just go free now that she's been through a lot and she says that's just the way she feels about it bobby her cousin says gypsy would have just been a normal kid if it hadn't been having Didi for a mother. Rod's family then watched some old home videos and Rod starts to kind of tear up and he just says, you know, it is what it is. He's not a blame yourself type of guy, but who else is there to blame? And he says he knows he should have done more. And I just do want to point out for Rod, <laughs> there is someone to blame here and it's Dee july 5th 2016 so this is about a year after the murder the court has announced a surprise pre-trial hearing for gypsy in springfield her lawyer shows her the new charges that have been written up for her to sign off on and the judge asks her to stand and raise her right hand and it's hard not to be struck by her diminutive frame right next to her lawyer she looks tiny and i looked up her height and she is she's four foot eleven inches tall And maybe she could have been genetically predisposed to be that short but you have to kind of assume that all those unnecessary medications and surgeries and treatments may have stunted her growth now she's sworn in and they ask her to about what grade she had gone to in school and it's heartbreaking to hear her say about second grade i just shook my head thinking back to how someone had said she had fallen through every crack they had in the system i think her lawyer says that because right there, there's yet another crack that she fell into. At that point, Gypsy pleads guilty to murder in the second degree and the court accepts the plea. She's then sentenced to 10 years in prison. She must complete 85% of the sentence before she is eligible for parole. The prosecutor explains the plea and the decisions the court made by saying that this was a very unusual case. Gypsy had suffered two decades of abuse at the hands of her mother for the purpose of fraud and by amending the charges to second degree. They sought to hold her responsible for the murder of her mother, but show that there were mitigating circumstances. Her lawyer says there's some relief here because this was the best possible outcome they could have gotten. Her lawyer says that best case scenario, Gypsy is going to be able to be released when she's 32 years old. And if you're following the case at all, you likely know that Gypsy was recently released from prison at indeed the age of 32. And her lawyer says that hopefully she'll be able to live a full life after that, after she has served this prison time. In the interview, they ask Gypsy if 10 years in jail is better than living 10 years the way she was living with her mom, and she says, yes, it is. And she says she has to start over, like as if she's newly born. After the plea, the court allows Rod and Christy to have their first full contact with Gypsy since this all began, so they drive up to see her. And they're both pretty keyed up as they get ready to go and when gypsy's released into the room she just whispers hi she has like a little smile on her face and her dad just immediately goes to her and wraps her up in a hug and you can see the love there you know rod loves his daughter and gypsy likely never got to experience much of that love with her mom looming over her every movement and even when she was with her dad and now she gets to experience that you know, that real familial love from her father for the first time. Now, one of the first things he asks, though, is he asks how her health is. And I thought, oh, my God, he's so used to asking that. Like, even though nothing is physically wrong with her anymore, well, never was physically wrong with her, he, his first thought was to ask, you know, how her health was because he had been trained by Didi to always ask and think of that. She's still just lingering like a ghost. And I can only hope that they can sweep more and more of Dee Dee away from them. Um, She does tell her dad she's fine. She's been able to be in the rec yard and exercise. And she shows them that her feeding tube site is now healed. Because obviously they've taken that out. Rod asks if she is glad the trial's over. And she says yes. And he says that he's glad too. And that he knows it's hard. But... He really feels like this is the best case scenario and that he was really scared that she was going to get a lot of prison time, like 30 years, I think is what he says he was scared about. And she says, well, I was afraid I was going to get life in prison. Rod does apologize to her and says that he's sorry for whatever he did wrong. And she just says that he didn't do anything wrong. She says her mom was just very good at what she was doing and that she kept him in the dark and she says she doesn't blame him or Christy and while she does blame other people for not seeing through her mom and not helping her she says she never blamed her dad or her stepmom and he says well I think I blame myself enough and he says that they'll just move forward and put it behind them now Christy says is very poignant and I I hope this doesn't sound offensive when I say this but it sounds like something I don't know. Very, I don't know if it's a Southern thing or, a, I guess so, like a Southern thing to say. She says, God pulled you through it. The devil don't got you, baby. God's got you and we got you. They embrace again, and her dad says to stay strong, that he loves her and he'll be back to come visit her. And Gypsy breaks down crying in her da- dad's arms, and he says she can do it. She'll get through it. And then Rod makes a joke saying, don't get in any trouble. And she says she'll be a good girl. Like there's some dark humor right there. <laughs> now, this documentary took place before Nick john's trial, but I did look up the exact information on it. Nicholas john was sentenced to life in prison in 2018 for first degree murder. Gypsy served her sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Center and was granted parole very recently in 2024. Now, it's hard not to have immense sympathy for Gypsy Rose. None of us will ever know what it was like to be abused for so long. And while we can't know what's truly in Gypsy's mind or what her motivations truly are, I mean, it seems like the world is a better place without Dee Dee Blanchard in it. And it seems obvious that Gypsy felt this was a her-or-me situation. Either she kills her mom or her mom was going to kill her. And I don't think that's an unreasonable thought. But as always, I would love to know your thoughts about this one so far. You can find me on Instagram at Let's Talk About It or on my blog at tumblr.com slash Let's Talk About It. If you can, check out my Q&A and poll for the week. If you're on Spotify, leave me a five star review if you're on Apple Podcasts. And this podcast is now available on Podcast Addict if you would rather listen there. And if you'd like me to check out Gypsy Rose's new docu series on Lifetime, let me know on any of those platforms. Thanks for listening and I will be back next Tuesday with another listener recommended documentary to talk about. Bye.